0: hello everyone and welcome to lockdown law thank you for tuning in and i hope you enjoy this episode don't forget to check me out on instagram my username is law lockdown check out my website www.lockdownlaws.com and finally if you have the time please give me a rating on Apple Podcast. Either way, thank you for listening, and I appreciate your support. Hello everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Law. My guest today is attorney Daniel Gwyn. Daniel has been an attorney for over 20 years in Michigan and has specialized in employment law. Daniel, thank you for being on this podcast today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Ian. My and pleasure. What's it like being an employment law attorney? Well, it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Uh, I've been doing it a while, and uh, our firm does do, uh, we represent both employers and employees. Um, I enjoy both sides uh, of the V uh, in employment law cases, and, you know, most people have a uh, an emotional attachment uh, to their work. It's part of their identity. And it's always interesting to, you know, meet the employers, get their position and help employees as the situation calls for.
0: Very fascinating. I think that gives you a a great perspective when you can represent uh, both both sides. Um, I really wanna talk to you today about social media Um, A lot's been going on in the news with Twitter and Facebook banning people. So my first question to you is, can Twitter and Facebook and other social media platforms legally ban any user they want?
1: Well, uh, the short answer, and the answer as the law is today, is that yes, they can. The First Amendment to the Constitution does protect speech from government censorship, but the social media companies, being private entities, uh, can ban users uh, for virtually any reason. I, I think the issue there, however, is that despite that Law and despite the status of the law today, it does not really address some of the issues that have arisen in our society because of the ubiquitous nature of social media and how many people across the world uh, actually use it.
0: Yeah, and so if we just take it step-by-step, the first four words or five words of the First Amendment, Says Congress shall make no law. Um, that over the years, you know, the, it, it's amazing to me in studying history that the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, uh, for a major part of our history, was thought to only apply to the federal government. That changed over the years. State governments are now included in that. So basically, what that means now is state action. There has to be some sort of government actor. We don't have that with with Twitter and Facebook. They are a private company. Then there's like two other kind of exceptions, whether it's a traditional public forum, which I don't think social media is. And then there's a a catch-all if there's a traditional public function. And I think there's some case law having to do with like companies operating a private town or if. You know, the government contracts out firefighting services or, or things like that. That would be a traditional public function and sort of a a catch to to this state action doctrine. But the the first step in the analysis is is there state action? And so with Twitter and Facebook, they're private
1: companies, and so there's no state action there, correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh and as I said it's correct, but it doesn't seem to resolve some of the controversies that we have in our society today.
0: Yes. Um, and the thing that fascinates me, and maybe this is above my pay grade because uh, I'm not a social media expert, but I would have thought that the free market would have stepped in by now and um, you know, created some platform to um, for all these disgruntled folks who got kicked off of Twitter and Facebook, but that hasn't really
1: happened yet, has it? No, um, it hasn't. And if you're, you know, we, we have this concept of the marketplace of ideas that uh, the way to combat or, con- you know, the way to combat certain speech is to add more speech, to create a discourse, a discussion. And the concept uh, of the marketplace of ideas is that the truth will ultimately prevail that good ideas will prevail over bad ideas, good policies will rise to the top, bad policies will fall to the bottom. Uh, But, you know, in in recent years, it seems that especially with social media, the marketplace of ideas concept, you know, may not be working today in the way that it was intended. Um, When you see, false information, when you see hate speech, when you see misinformation proliferating on social media and spreading like wildfire. Uh, In recent times, it it appears uh, that some of these uh, false ideas, false narratives have prevailed over the truth. And that's one of the issues that I think is coming to the forefront when it comes to social media.
0: Yeah. And so there is sort of an alternative social media platform called Parler. Um, And what happened recently though is Amazon has some web service or support service and they banned Parler from that can Amazon bar the social media site Parler from appearing on their support web services?
1: Under current law, they can. And the, the way I, I kind of look at this situation uh, is coming at it from a little bit of a different angle. I mean, for example, could uh, Amazon, for example, be forced Uh, to carry uh, a platform that it it disagreed with or could it be compelled uh, to carry speech or a platform that uh, promoted ideas or misinformation that it deemed unacceptable. And I I think that the answer to that is clear uh, that it it has every right uh, to reject uh, speech as a private entity with which it disagrees. And therefore, you know, the action of Amazon in refusing to host the parlor website uh, under current law is is lawful. Again, we, we do not have state action here. You know, that's such an excellent point
0: that we often forget is that uh, Twitter and Facebook, they have First Amendment rights as well they have, a, a, I guess, a freedom of association, whoever they want to associate with or do business with. Is that a fair way of
1: looking at it? I think it's a good way to look at it. The First Amendment applies on, you know, to both sides. Uh, you know, Companies have a First Amendment right to promote their uh, agenda or their ideas just as individuals do.
0: Yeah, and it's a slippery slope if the if the government starts regulating these private businesses. I mean, what's to stop them from telling CNN, "Hey, you're having too many liberal guests. You need to have more conservative guests," or you know, vice versa with Fox, or even them telling me who my next host should be for my podcast.
1: <laughs> um, right, we don't want that.
0: No, we don't. Um, so, yeah, that that is a, an interesting way to look at it. Um, But this, to me in my head, when, you know, you hear about Twitter kicking people off for whatever reason, these individual users, that's one thing. Um, Amazon banning Parler, an entire social media platform, that seemed extreme to me in, in my head. Do you do you think there's a difference between the two, or is it just like you said? You know, you run through the same analysis, and and Amazon has that First Amendment right as well.
1: I do think it's the same analysis uh, under current law. However, um, I do think that there are some inherent issues uh, that under current law as well. I mean, with the with the broad spectrum of social media and with how many people are using it, you know, the question I think that we need to look at is do we want uh, an entity, a powerful entity like Amazon to be the gatekeeper of speech and to also set the standards for what speech is acceptable and what, what speech is not? I think that there are a lot of problems with that, given the the power of some of these social media platforms and and the hold that they have on speech over the internet.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this is a problem. You have people self-censoring. That's not good. You're driving people underground, which is not good. Um, you're creating these echo chambers where, you know, people are surrounded by other people who have the same exact views that they do, which is not good. So there is a problem. We just don't know how to fix it. Uh, You know, I don't know if, if one way to tackle this problem is, uh, breaking up monopolies, you know, under the law, the government can do that. And it does seem like Facebook and, and Twitter have just gotten so big. Um, I don't know what the answer is, but, it's, it's definitely a troubling situation with respect to fir- First Amendment free speech and the marketplace of ideas, like you
1: said, in our, in our country right now. And, and I think the other problem that individuals have is that the social media platforms have not been consistent uh, in the way that they have either banned people or uh, placed uh, warnings uh, of misinformation on posts. Um, you know, in the earlier days of social media, uh, it seemed as if it was pretty much a free-for-all and a hands—a total hands-off position—very much uh, on the part of the social media platforms. Only recently, um, and largely in response to outcry from members of Congress, from members of the public. Has you know, social media seems to now change its position and say that it's going to uh, attempt to you know enforce its guidelines. But it brings us back again to that question: Do we want them to be doing that? Uh, You know, do we want to cede that power or that authority over to a private entity?
0: Yeah, and uh, I think. Part of me thinks that maybe we've become too reliant on social media maybe this is a wake-up call for people um so that's just another another
1: thing to think about right absolutely um we got along without social media uh for decades and centuries uh it's a new phenomenon and i think that you know, the legal community, the government, um, the public, everyone is has a different opinion on it, and it is something that people are struggling with um, in a number of ways as to how it should be regulated, should it be regulated at all? And what can we do uh, with this uh, new form of communication?
0: Well said, let's talk about your free speech rights
1: in the workplace. Do you have free speech rights in the workplace? Uh, Well, again, let's go back to our rule. Um, You know, there is no state action if you are working for a private employer. And so no, uh, you know, employee, then this comes as a shock uh, to many employees. In fact, you know, one of the recent statistics I uh, did come across was that uh, 65% of Americans believed that they do have uh, free speech, uh, you know, at least on social media, as it relates to their employment. Wow. And as, as we have seen uh, in recent, you know, just in the very recent past, uh, there have been scores of employees who have lost their jobs uh, because of uh, expressions and speech that they have engaged in oh, off-duty away from work on social media. Um, You know, certainly the recent uh, incidents at the Capitol in uh, Washington, DC, where individuals believed uh, that they were exercising their First Amendment rights to protest and a peaceful protest and assembly, um, were, I'm sure many of them were shocked uh, when they came home and found out that they no longer had a job. Um, Certainly, uh, you know, we have seen cases where employees engage in what is lawful conduct outside of work, uh, where they have exercised uh, their right to free speech, which they do have. uh, But I think the point is, is that there's the consequence uh, to it when it comes to your employment. If you, for example, um, are expressing your first amendment rights at a KKK rally, uh, you, may not, you may not be surprised when you come back to work to find out the termination slip is uh, being presented to you. Um, so no, um, employees in the private sector uh, do not uh, have, a, have freedom of speech, uh, because the employer, again, is not a state actor.
0: And is that where that term employee at will comes from?
1: It certainly is part of it. Um, You know, employment at will, a very uh, powerful doctrine at, you know, in play in virtually every state, with the exception of those employers or employees who work under a union contract or just cause contract. Certainly government employment is different for most uh, government employees. But the at-will employment doctrine basically states that an employer may terminate or change a condition of employment of an employee for a good reason, a bad reason, or no reason at all. Uh, As long as the reason is not discriminatory, as long as a motivating factor for the adverse employment action does not touch upon a protected class or category of the employee. Those would, you know, the common ones are, you know, certainly it would be unlawful or impermissible. For an employer to terminate an employee because of race, because of gender, because of disability, Uh, sexual orientation is new uh, and also been added. Uh, It's been present at the state level in many states, but only recently added uh, at the federal level. And in addition, um, impermissible reasons for employment, for termination or adverse action against an employee would also include uh, conduct. Certain conduct is protected as well. And and the the common example here is the whistleblower, um, the individual employee who reports or is about to report wrongdoing on the part of the employer to a public body uh, that affects the public at large. Um, So in that case, it's not just the individual's status that is protected, also their conduct. Uh, Another example certainly are are, employees who seek to form a union Uh, You know, if they act in concert with other employees seeking representation for exercise of their rights under the National Labor Relations Act, that uh, conduct uh, is protected and would be an impermissible reason for an employer to terminate an employee or take other adverse action against him or her.
0: That is an excellent analysis. Thank you for that. Um, So similarly with workplace emails, if you are um, emailing at work, your employer
1: could have access to those emails. Is that correct? It is correct. And this is another um, area that, I mean, I can just say anecdotally in my own practice that has come as somewhat of an unwelcome surprise uh, to (laughs) to many employees. I'm sorry to say um, and this touches upon another you know, issue, and that is privacy. You know, An employee does not have a, an expectation of privacy in emails where the employee is using the employer's equipment and when the employee is working on company time. Um, so you know, this comes, as I said, as an unwelcome surprise in certain employment discrimination cases. Uh, where employees have been terminated for inappropriate use of company uh, email or other electronic communications, and most employee handbooks today, um, if you know if they're well drafted, um, should clearly spell out to the employee that their communications on company electronic data are not private. Uh, and are subject to review uh by the employer. In fact, uh, they belong uh to the employer. And again, there there are certain exceptions, you know, and they're they're somewhat narrow, but again, if the employee engages in protected conduct on company uh equipment, that raises a different issue. Uh certainly, you know, the, the most I would say illustrative example, is where employees have used social, have used the employer's electronic communications in their effort to seek uh, support for union representation.
0: Got it. Or if they were making a whistleblower complaint that- Correct.
1: Okay. Correct.
0: And is this same standard applicable to governmental employees or is it a bit different?
1: Government employees have some have a little different situation in which they have to work with. Um, you know, government employees um, can't do have First Amendment rights to speak out on a matter of public interest or public concern. Um, where they do not uh, enjoy that right is where their speech, uh, is part of something that they are supposed to do as part of their job description. Um, you know, we we do have the case uh, of uh, a government, um, I, I believe he was uh, some kind of prosecutor, um, who uh, uh, basically, uh, as part of his job, was to review uh, an affidavit in support of a search warrant. Um, And in in that review, um, in his opinion, uh, he uncovered misrepresentations of fact in the underlying affidavit to support the warrant. Um, He, of course, uh, made this public and uh, suffered adverse employment action as a result of it and ultimately sued uh, the government. And the case uh, law or the case as it was decided um, held that uh, he did not uh, exercise a first amendment right in this instance, that he was acting simply in the scope of his employment. Um, And therefore his speech uh, was not protected uh, by the First Amendment. You know, in other words, the the court uh, held that were we to hold otherwise, uh, the courts would be in the position of basically, you know, I, I would say acting as a super personnel agency or department uh, and trying to determine what was within the employee's scope of employment and duties and what was outside of it. Um, So state uh, government employees um, need to be cautious. I would say that if they choose to speak out uh, publicly that they really are expressing a matter of public concern and not simply uh, an opinion that is uh, expressing a disagreement with superiors uh which uh when they're asked to perform the duties of their position
0: and you have to be careful because your employer has a
1: lot of power (laughs) the government um enjoys an unlimited budget and uh also they enjoy uh a very uh Large staff uh, of attorneys, very well versed uh, in uh, First Amendment law, and they have the time. You know, absolutely, they can litigate for years, no problem. Yes, they have a they they hold a distinct advantage over uh, private employers and um, and private attorneys like you and me. Yes, for sure. Well.
0: So what are some practical tips for employees in terms of exercising free speech rights in a responsible
1: way without fear of termination? I'm going to give an answer for you, Eva, and Ian, and I don't know if your listeners are going to like it. Uh, But but I I do want to protect employees. I mean, a job today is a very precious commodity. And to lose a position um, because of speech that is deemed to be contrary to the employer's interest or hate speech uh, and the way that it can spread on social media can certainly damage not only the employee's current employment, but can also damage um, their opportunities to seek subsequent employment. So although it may make um, some employees unhappy, uh, the best advice that I can give is limit your social media to family picnics, um, holidays, Uh, you know, enjoyable experiences with friends and family and keep your political, your religious um, and some of your more, I would say, inflammatory beliefs or conduct off social media. You know, I look at this and I think back being in my 60s uh, now, I look back and I, I say to myself before the advent of social media, we all were fine. Uh, we were able to express our views in other forums um, that did not uh, implicate our employment. And I, I would say that you know, until things settle out uh, with the status of current law, Um, and being the conservative person I am when it comes to protecting an employee's rights to employment, um, my advice, as I said, is um, keep it friendly, um, keep it neutral, and keep it personal, um, which is basically how social media really started. Uh, You know, it's only in recent years that it became this uh, vessel Uh, for all types of political and inflammatory speech that in some cases has resulted uh, in, in very sad circumstances for employees that have lost their jobs.
0: Yeah. And I guess the, that's very good practical advice. I guess the flip side to that coin is what we were talking about earlier. You know, we're getting back to a little bit of self-censorship and, um, you know, a limitation in the marketplace of ideas, which is never good for a thriving democracy. But I guess that's just the balancing
1: act we need to perform nowadays. And I agree. And and I would also say this is that you know, yes, um, you you may feel that uh, you're being somewhat smothered, uh, perhaps as to what you can say uh, on social media or whether you can post. Uh, Uh, You know, or repost or retweet the views of others. But at the same time, you know, the way our society uh, is organized and under our current laws, you have other venues. In other words, you have the right to vote. Uh, You have the right to work for a political candidate or to to promote a certain uh, uh, policy issue. Um, So, yes and no. Um, I do think that, again, in order to, you know, give the broadest possible rule to protect the most people uh, with rights to their employment, I would say, yes, you have free speech rights. Find another uh, venue in which to express them.
0: That's a great point. Uh, You can do a lot by just getting involved in local elections. It's crazy. I mean, here in the county I live in, uh, a couple elections came down to a few hundred votes.
1: (laughs) Well, right. I mean, absolutely. And, you know, in, you know, the area where I live, uh, same thing, you know, one of our big controversies uh, that we had was, you know, whether the city uh, should establish a dog park. Mm. Uh, You know, and uh, controversial. Yes, very (laughs) controversial issue uh, with um, very emotional arguments expressed on both pro and con.
0: Oh, my Uh, goodness. Well, yeah. And I think even um, I think it was Georgia, the presidential election in in Georgia, I think that came down to about 20,000 votes out of 5 million votes casted. So um, yeah, that is great practical advice that if you feel like um, your voice isn't being heard on social media or you're self-censoring, get involved in in your local politics or your local elections.
1: I like it. And and I think that we could all benefit from that. Um, The more people who participate in in government um, who to try to establish good policies, going back to our marketplace of ideas concept. I mean, here's where uh, through political organizations and grassroots organizations and all types of other issues that may come uh, to to face you and your community, the more people we get involved, uh, perhaps as a result, that marketplace of ideas concept will carry through and the good ideas will prevail. Absolutely.
0: Well said. Let's talk about your free speech rights in the school environment. Do students have free speech rights at school?
1: They do uh, to an extent. Uh, Free speech rights uh, can be limited. Um, And and going back, you know, even under the First Amendment, I think it's important to state that we do not have the right to unfettered free speech just to set the tone. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, most of us know that it is unlawful to falsely cry fire in a crowded theater. Um, it's also unlawful to, you know, speech that promotes uh, obscenity uh, can be restricted as can speech that incites uh, Unlawful or dangerous conduct or action. You cannot, for example, um, demonstrate. Uh, you know, even if peaceably, if your demonstration for it is restricting access to a medical facility uh, where people are seeking medical care, um, it would be unlawful to uh, use a bullhorn uh, in the middle of a residential street at night uh, promoting uh, some sort of speech. So so speech can be restricted as to time, place, and manner, um, as well as the other examples that I cited. Um, When it comes to the schools, um, of course, the preeminent case, you know, was I believe it came out of Minnesota. Uh, Tinker uh, was the name of the plaintiff, uh, student in that case. And I think it was Iowa. Iowa, okay. Uh, Midwest. Yes. There we go. And um, so the plaintiff in that case, a student, um, and it was the backdrop was the Vietnam War. Um, and the students wore black armbands uh, to school as a matter of protest. And of course the school, uh, you know, wanted to ban uh, this, uh, this expression. And, you know, basically uh, the courts held that, you know, that students do have a limited right uh, to speech in schools. They cannot uh, disrupt classroom instruction or the educational process. And in the Tinker case, it was determined that the wearing of these uh, black armbands did not did not unduly disrupt the educational process. I I think it's also been expanded uh, in recent years when it comes to violence in the schools. Um, Certainly, you know, speech that uh, on behalf of students or on the parts of students. And again, the backdrop here is school shootings, um, you know, terrible, horrible events that have occurred across the country. Um, Speech that incites violence um, can also be restricted if expressed uh, by students. And there have been, you know, a number of examples, sometimes sadly uh, discovered after the fact, where students have expressed um, threats of violence on social media um, and there's been uh, horrific consequences.
0: Yes. How about this one for you? Cause I, I read an article you wrote that was just fascinating. So I wanna bring this, this up. Can an employer terminate someone for cigarette smoking? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, it depends on the state where you live. Okay. Um, certain and you know certain states uh, would prohibit uh, an employer from terminating an employee for cigarette smoking, especially off duty. Um, but when we go back to the at-will employment doctrine. Um, where an employer may terminate an employee for a good reason, bad reason, or no reason at all, as long as it's not discriminatory. Um, Cigarette smoking does not constitute protected conduct. Um, And employers may uh, terminate employees for cigarette smoking, even off duty. Um, I, I think it's rare uh, because, you know, again, there's a balance here where employers need employees. Um, they want to have uh, a competent and professional workforce. Um, and so I haven't seen a lot uh, a lot of uh, activity uh, in this regard um, in my own practice, but certainly um, it would be lawful in many states. Uh, for an employer to terminate an employee for cigarette smoking. Um, and virtually, you know, again, we're going back to off duty conduct or misconduct. And either one, um, in certain circumstances, can be grounds for termination uh, of employment. Um, cigarette smoking, of course, is completely legal. Um, and even, but it still uh, is grounds for termination legally in certain states. I think it's interesting that if, um, if there is an individual who is in recovery from alcoholism, in other words, they're in a 12-step program or and they're not uh, consuming alcohol, um, those individuals under the Americans with Disabilities Act are considered protected. You know that's a disability wow. um, as long as they are in recovery. Active alcoholism or drinking, you know, on the job, of course, is not. But when it comes to cigarette smoking, um, individuals who are, you know, in—I would say—I'm not a physician, but I would say—in recovery from the effects of um, cigarette or nicotine addiction are not similarly protected um, under the ADA. And um, from what I have been able to determine, um, that was uh, the result of active lobbying uh, by the tobacco industry when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed by Congress.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. One of the things that blew my mind uh, when I went to law school coming from California to Indiana was smoking inside restaurants. I had never seen that before. I don't know if it's still legal. Is it still legal in some of those Midwestern states to to smoke inside a restaurant?
1: In Michigan, you can no longer smoke in a restaurant or in a bar. Um, okay. And I'll be aging myself here, but... Um, <laughs> I remember um, smoking in college uh, with the professor um, you know, during class uh, and during taking final exams and everything else, this is an undergraduate. And you know, again, I don't even know if I should say this, but um, I kind of hit, went to a, I, I had some very liberal uh, left-leaning teachers in my high school. And, uh, you know, I distinctly remember my high school English teacher um, when I was studying with her in independent study, um, not only running around barefoot, um, this is in the 70s, uh, but also smoking in wow. high school. Wow. <laughs> so things have certainly changed when it comes to that.
0: that. That would be a lot of fun, actually, if I could bring a nice cigar into uh, one of my law school classes. I wouldn't mind that. Um, yeah, there were some other interesting laws in Indiana. I don't know if they're still in the books, but I remember you couldn't buy alcohol on Sundays, mm-hmm. which was so frustrating to uh, me and my roommate because that was like our our day off. We'd watch football, and that was the day we'd want to go grab, you know, a six pack of beer. And of course, we never remembered to get it the day before.
1: Planning <laughs> is everything.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and I think, and again, I don't know if this is still true, but I think the county that uh, Jack Daniels, where they they make their whiskey, I think that's a dry county, so, so they can make it, but they can't, um, they can make it there, but they can't drink it there. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if that's still in the books, but I thought that was fascinating. Um, okay. So, what's been your experience practicing law during the pandemic. Um, What are the current restrictions in in your part of Michigan?
1: Well, um, of course we were under stay-at-home orders, um, like most of the states and um, presently, um, you know, with with some exceptions for criminal cases in which, you know, which I don't practice in, all of our court uh, hearings are done on Zoom. Um, we, all, trials have been uh, adjourned. Uh, I had a trial scheduled for October. Um, it's currently been pushed to May, um, and I, I don't even think it's going to happen then uh, because it is a jury trial. Um, so we've been working from home. Uh, we have been fortunate that we have remained uh, busy uh, with our practice. It has presented some challenges um, in my own practice. My associate uh, who I rely on extensively, uh, she's an excellent researcher and writer. Uh, she and I live on opposite sides of the top of town, uh, probably more than 50 miles apart from each other. Um, and, you know, my, and again, my bookkeeper is remote, uh, so that's presented challenges. So uh, what we have done is uh, my associate and I me- do meet at our office with masks and all, you know, dis- social distancing, uh, all of the requirements and rules and regulations and recommendations of the uh, CDC Um, We meet at least once or twice a week to uh, work on our cases and make sure that we're on the same page. In terms of clients, um, we have had clients in the offices and uh, on rare occasions where it's required and necessary where we're just not able to uh, represent them fully and fairly um, from, uh, you know, digitally or remotely. Um, and there, you know, again, uh, we, clients, are reco- any visitor to our office, uh, fills out uh, a questionnaire, has the temperature taken, must wear a mask. Um, so it's been challenging, uh, I'm sure, not just for me, but for many, many people. Uh, but uh, we have adapted. Uh, we, we've adapted, we've adjusted. And um, I, I I would it would it would be wrong to say that I'm not looking forward to an end to this like everyone else, yes. but but in the meantime, we're carrying on. And how about
0: uh gyms, bars, restaurants? Are they open in your neck of the woods? Uh, the
1: restaurants just recently opened, um uh I believe on Monday um of this week. Um and um gyms were open uh, prior to that, um, group fitness classes were not allowed initially, uh, but individual workouts at gyms, uh, with social distancing and with masks, uh, were allowed. Um, restaurants opened up on Monday. Um, they must close at 10 o'clock, um, 25%, uh, capacity or, uh, there's another number, Uh, I think it's 100 people or 25% capacity, whichever is less. Uh, Masks must be worn except when um, eating or drinking. And tables uh, must be six feet apart. And if I remember right, uh, no more than two households uh, together at one table, no more than six people. Uh, per table so those are the current uh, regulations that have just been um, set forth um, by our governor sounds similar to what's happening out
0: here except um, in Los Angeles County they have an additional regulation that all TVs must be turned off at a restaurant don't ask me why (laughs) there's been we
1: we don't We don't know the rationale for that.
0: You know, there's been some weird stuff out here. Um, I think their thought was because Super Bowl is coming up, they want to avoid um, people, you know, crowding by the TV. But couldn't you just say, okay, Super Bowl Sunday, turn your TVs off or, you know, no crowding by the TV. Instead, um, there's just a blanket restriction that
1: all restaurants must have their TVs turned off. (laughs) <laughs> and, I, and I'm and i wondering as well as maybe it's to prevent people from lingering, um, you know, for a, a longer period. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, we don't have that restriction here.
0: Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, so how have you been trying to stay active and stay sane during the lockdown?
1: Well, I did a number of things, Um At the beginning of the pandemic in March, um, I had, I would say a sinking feeling that this was going to be a long and drawn out process. And my associate and I always worked from home uh, to some extent. Um, So one thing I did was that, and I was fortunate in this regard, is that uh, my home office was in a very small room in my house and when I looked at that, it somewhat looked like a prison. Uh, so I, mo- I was fortunate in that there was an additional uh, room in my house that I moved into and just set it up like uh, an office, an office, I should say, an office plus uh, with a television, with uh, comfortable furniture, with my exercise equipment, a treadmill. Um, So again, I was fortunate in that regard um, to try to make myself comfortable for the long haul to be able to do my work. Um, I've also, you know, again, tried to, despite the weather uh, in Michigan, especially now, uh, get outside as much as I can, uh, even in freezing temperatures, just dressing warmly. Um, And, you know, I I would say that, you know, I I do feel uh, a great deal of empathy because I have, you know, communicated with other individuals who do not have the uh, luxury of space that I have had, who are set up, for example, in their dining room, Um, With family members around um, just, you know, which has a tendency to distract you when you're trying to work from home. Um, So I certainly understand that uh, not everyone uh, had some of the luxuries that I had when it came to making this adjustment uh, to remote work. So you have been an attorney for over
0: 20 years what is your favorite part of being a lawyer? And what is your least favorite part? And let's go pre-COVID.
1: Pre-COVID. Okay. Okay. I would say, you know, I, I'm gonna take the second one first and, and say that, you know, I, I don't really I, I don't really have a least favorite part. Uh, I, I I enjoy the practice of law. I enjoy my profession. And like every job, there there are certain, or profession, There certainly there are some mundane tasks uh, that must be addressed. Uh, but when you look at the overall picture, um, it's a great privilege to be an attorney. Um, I enjoy meeting the clients, sol- helping solve their problems, uh, helping them in any way that I can. Um, I think it's a good, you know, I, I enjoy the intellectual pursuit uh, that being a lawyer requires, uh, the reading, the research. Uh, I enjoy the writing. Um, I've been interested in reading and writing from a very early age. Um, and so this was an opportunity as a lawyer to basically be paid uh, for something I enjoy doing already. Uh, so, and then, you know, there's also the business of running a practice, uh, which, uh, at, at first, uh, when I struck out on my own, uh, what, you know, was a challenge and even that, uh, was something new to learn and something that I've enjoyed doing. The practice of law today, you know, I, I look at, uh, the number of students who are, In law school, um, it's much less. They're they're much fewer than when I uh, was in law school. The cost, of course, is exorbitant uh, today uh, compared to what uh, I paid for tuition and such. But despite all that, um, if there, if anyone is interested in the practice of law, despite the challenges. Uh, I, I totally recommend it uh, as a profession, a laudable profession, a privilege, an interesting profession, and a profession that you can do pretty much for as long as you wish, you know, as long as your health permits. Um, there's so many opportunities out there. Um, certainly, there might be less today because of the economy, but. I wouldn't discourage anyone uh, from pursuing a legal career uh, if that's what they wanted to do.
0: And we have a lot of power and you can do a lot of good with that power. And so-
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
0: I think that was uh, very well said. Um, Daniel, I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot and I wanna thank you for your time and expertise.
1: Ian, I very much enjoyed the opportunity to participate in today's podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure.
0: The information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available on this podcast are for general informational purposes only. Information in this podcast may not constitute the most up-to-date legal or other information. Listeners of this podcast should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No reader or listener to this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information contained herein and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Use of and access to this podcast or any of the resources contained within the podcast do not create an attorney-client relationship. The views expressed at or through this podcast are those of the individual author writing, in their individual capacities only, not those of their respective employers. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed. The content on this posting is provided as is.
1: No representations are made that the content is error free.